basically, basically it's investing in a box. I can, we can literally take anyone, as long as you have a down payment and you can afford the renovations, we can just drop you into our world. There's two businesses, there's two, there's two investments or two businesses when it comes to real estate investing. Because there's the house itself, right? So the house has a market. Uh, and also, I'm also now in the landlording business, as in I need to be able to rent out my property. You know what most doc a hundred i would say 90 percent of most doctors will do okay yeah, yeah. what they don't realize is that they could do much much better hey welcome back everybody i know that we all love to talk about real estate and investing in real estate among healthcare professionals trust me it is one of those topics that we tend to talk a lot about, uh, especially when we talk about you know purchasing our primary residence. But it doesn't stop there. Many of us have become you know amateur real estate investors, and today we're going to do a topic about just that—a little twist on the investment of real estate, but looking at it from a different angle. And today, I've got a different guest with us to talk about just that. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Thank you very much for uh, being on the show, Erwin. So uh, I want to introduce Erwin. Uh, his name is Erwin Sito, and Erwin is a very accomplished uh, real estate agent, but he's more than a real estate agent. He's actually a real estate agent extraordinaire and more. I don't want to mess up your introduction, Erwin. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? and um, you know, I, I want you to, to tell us what exactly all the things you do, because we're going to be asking you some questions. I, and, and I want the audience to make sure that that they are actually listening to a superstar in real estate. Where, where to start? I, I'm not that different than most people. I went to university. Uh, I got lucky and got into a pretty good business school. And then I got pretty unlucky. Uh, my graduating year was uh, September 11th. So then uh, it was a struggle to actually find employment. Uh, and I had a girlfriend and, and I had car payments to make. And so I had, uh, and again, after expenses, even though I was living at home, I had no money left. And so, uh, so it, was, it was out of a need that I needed, to, out of uh, necessity that I needed to find a means of making additional income. And then I got started into investing in real estate in about 2005, did it by accident because actually it was my girlfriend's idea uh, from her father that we that we buy real estate. And I was like, I mean, we later married and moved into that first investment property. We bought that pro property. She bought that property for like about 160,000 downtown Burlington, two bedroom, one bath. And uh, that property is now probably worth well over 800,000. I think I'm capable of more than what my job pays me, right? So I was always looking for means to, um, again, increase value, increase my value in terms, sorry, in terms of like the work that I do, 
So I was always seeking promotions. I was always working late uh, in order to generate more income. And also I was, and then after work, you know, weekends, I was always working on my real estate, uh, going to meetups, networking, investing in my own education. And then at a point uh, I felt that I had outgrown my realtor that I was working with uh, because they were a regular residential realtor. And uh, that's, and he was excellent at it, but he didn't understand uh, the business of real estate investing because uh, the business of real estate investing is like, uh, there's two businesses. There's two, there's two investments or two businesses when it comes to real estate investing, because there's the house itself, right? So the house has a market. Uh, and also I'm also now in the landlording business as in, I need to be able to rent out my property. And then I had friends of mine who knew I was doing well in real estate. They asked if and they knew I had my license. They said, Hey, can you help me have what you have? And so people knew that I was cat, we were cash flowing. So the rents were higher than our expenses and the mortgage payments and all that. And the market was doing great. So the more people, then people aren't, um, were interested. I kept on taking on more clients and they got really busy as an investor. It was pretty easy to make that transition because again, there was no one in that space. There was no one in that space, helping people buy investment property. We know we have a team of contractors. We know what the tenant profile is going to be like. We have property managers and all those sorts of things to make investing as painless as possible, right? Basically, basically it's investing in a box. I can, we can literally take anyone, as long as you have a down payment and you can afford the renovations, we can just drop you into our world, you know, use whoever you want. These are the people we literally are using today on our own investment properties. And we, we have a significant track record of success. And then, yeah, again, drop you into our world. You can work with whoever you want. These are the people we work with. We don't get a dime from them. Uh, they've offered us plenty of dimes for referral fees, but we just say, you know, just give it back to the customer. It's a, it's a long story. And yeah. No, I, I like your story. I like your story because it, it's a good segue into what we're going to be discussing today. The reason why, you know, I'm doing this podcast is I think a lot of us, and uh, when I say us, I, I'm talking about physicians and you said your mm -hmm. father was a physician. So mm -hmm. you probably understand this. We only make money when we go to work. We, we exchange our life energy. We exchange our hours with our family. We sacrifice all that. Mm -hmm. And you can see it during the pandemic right now, how much we're sacrificing our lives just to be caring for people. Mm -hmm. And so we don't make money by producing a widget. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we make money because we have to be there. And so I'm not saying we don't make good money. We do, but we have to be there. There, there has to be a way where we can learn to make money, not being there. Now, does that mm -hmm. mean that all physicians don't want to be physicians anymore? Absolutely not. But I think most physicians now are thinking, wait a minute, uh, we're all burnt out. And I don't know if you know, but, and I don't know if your father knows, but 40% of physicians in Canada are burnt out and 87% of emergency physicians in Canada, which I am one are burnt oh out. Boy. So when you go to the emergency department, nine out of 10 of the doctors that you meet are burnt out. So, and the reason is because we dedicate our life energy to our work. And so a lot of us are now thinking, wait a minute, this is not sustainable. It's not sustainable at all. And so how do we, if we, if we reduce our numbers of, of working hours, which will help with our burnout and help with our own personal life and balanced life, where does the other income come from, mm -hmm. right? 
And so a lot of us are now thinking we have to find some sort of passive uh, revenue somewhere, a passive revenue stream. And it's not surprising, given what's happening in the GTHA, that a lot of us are now into the real estate market. And a lot of us are investing in real estate. And as you mentioned to me earlier pre-podcast, is that your father has also invested in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, your father's situation is not, un- it's not uh, uncommon. It's, it's very common uh, among physicians. So physicians and healthcare people love to invest in real estate. It's something we understand. It's tangible. I can touch, I can touch the ground. I can smell the mud. I can touch the brick. So it's very tangible, whereas people don't understand the stock market as well. So real estate has always been a very good uh, asset to invest in, especially if you're talking about immigrants. Uh, they love to invest in real estate. But we don't necessarily know how to do it well, and that's why I'm speaking with an expert today. And I'm hoping that, you know, uh, Erwin, you're, you're able to help us out a little bit. And so I think it's very important uh, that you made the distinction, right? There's, there's two ways to investing in real estate. I invest in my home, which is a residential air, uh, primary residence. It's, it's my home. It's my shelter. I need to live somewhere. That's one type of investment, but that's, that's really for shelter. It's, I wouldn't really call that investment unless you call that, you know, your real estate as your nest egg and that would be it. But some other people will invest in real estate the same way they would invest in the stock markets and bonds and, and whatnot. And this is what you are talking about. So this is the other type of investment. So bring us into that world a little bit, maybe in a very short nutshell, what does that look like? And then we'll drive a little bit more into deeper details later. But what does that life look like? What, how is that different from your primary residence real estate investment? So for myself, I'm probably not that different than a lot of your, your listeners and uh, I, I don't, I'm not burnt out <laughs> because uh, the nice thing about uh, real estate investing, the way I do it is it's a, it's largely passive in that I can delegate almost everything. For example, uh, you know, you talked about people being homeowners. I don't even mow my own lawn, right? Cause I can hire all of that. And that includes all my investment properties. I almost never see them. <laughs> Sometimes I forget where they are. Uh, so I tr- truly treat this as passive. Uh, almost, almost, uh, most of my tenants don't even contact me because they know that uh, they can they can get a better response if they just call my handyman, for example, right? So I've outsourced and delegated per, as much as I can, right? So in a nutshell, to me, I buy uh, we buy detached homes that are on the ground, and my objective is that they cash flow, that meaning that the the rents cover cover the property. And, and then, and that includes paying for maintenance, including landscaping, snow removal, my property manager, right? So my property manager deals with the day-to-day. So again, it's, it's, I treat it like a business. You know, what's happened in the last year was largely predictable. Like the pandemic accelerated inflation and housing costs, right? Cause I, cause I'm sure you've talked to people before, like what's your best investment? Most people say your home. And then I'll say, don't you wish you had two? Or I'll say to someone, what do you think your house will be worth in 10 years? Right. And they usually say probably double. Like, don't you think you should have more real estate then? Right. I think there's something you mentioned that's very important, right? There are people who invest in real estate uh, and they could be really active at it, meaning going to mow the lawn, uh, fix the toilet, fix the air conditioning, deal with 
deal with every single tenant complaint or issues that they have and and they won't stop they're they're just going to be there so that's the very active type of you know real estate investment Mm -hmm. and then there's the way you're doing it where you say listen my time is worth my time and i don't want to be doing all that Mm -hmm. i'm going to buy a real estate that give me cash flow after i you know, minus all the expenses, which include the property manager, the loan mowing and the handyman who's going to fix the toilet. So I think that's a very smart of smart way of doing it. So let's let's go. Let's dive into that mindset a little bit. So I'm I'm Vuket. I am a physician. I let's say I practice uh, for five years now and I finally realized that, you know, I can't do emergency medicine for long or I can't operate in an operating room 24 hours a day for long or these long night calls where I have to drive into the hospital to deliver a baby. I can't do that for long. Or if I want to do it for long, I can't do it at the rate that I'm doing. And so I need to find revenue somewhere and real estate is the way to go. To do what you're doing or what you, what your team is helping people to do. So we're talking about real estate business. We're not talking about real estate investment as a home, but in a real business, having cash flow, uh, having you know, a uh, uh, profit and loss, et cetera, meaning actually dealing it as a business. I think the first thing to realize is it's a business and you have to treat it like a business. So I think the mm-hmm. first thing is people need to realize that. But beyond that basic, simple concept, what are the skills that people need to do what you're doing? If I wanted to do what you're doing today, Erwin, uh, and I have a five-year plan to have, let's say, 10 10 condos in my hand by five years. What are the skills that I need to do that? So it varies. Uh, I'll first start off by saying, this is the easiest business I've ever seen in my life. So remember, I'm a business school graduate. I've tried lots of stuff in my journey. Again, so we've tra- we transact on regularly over 100 properties a year. And we work with at least 100 clients. And I've seen people from all walks of life be extremely successful as real estate investors. Uh, one of my first clients was a 26-year-old single woman, right? Never owned a home before, still lived at home. Now she has 10 properties. Uh, I have I have friends and clients who are high school graduates, who are barely high school graduates, who own 10 properties. And again, their net worth is somewhere around $4 million. So I don't personally don't believe any special skill is necessary. It's actually more about the determination to actually do something is more important than anything. Right, because what's the commonality between my most successful clients is they just want it more than anybody else does. No different than who becomes a doctor. It's, it's my my. This is my my dad said. So don't get mad at me, anyone. He said if you want to be a doctor bad enough, you will become a doctor. Right, you put in the time to do all the readings and stuff, and go through the classes and labs, and you you put it you know you put in those hours, you will become a doctor. I would argue that real estate's a lot easier. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I would argue about real estate is 10 times easier. <laughs> well, so what you're saying to me is if I can operate your knee and your hip and I can take a brain aneurysm out of your brain, I can do this, right? That's what you're saying. I'm saying, I'm saying like the effort to, to get to that point, what you're talking about is, is more than 50 times harder than becoming a real estate investor. Absolutely. I agree with you. But here's something that I think it's maybe more than skill. I think it's mindset. Right. So it's really not skill. You're right. Now, as physicians, we're very skillful, but we may not have the right mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we deal with 
one person at a time. We, we deal with the patient in front of us, the, the patient we're going to operate, the patient we're going to intubate, et cetera. That's how, that's how we think. So to do what you do, what mindset do we need to acquire? I think the first thing to think about is uh, you guys make good money. I, I, I know because I have doctors in the family. <laughs> and if you own your own home, you've likely done pretty, pretty well with it. And to me, it's the first thing is I have this money. So for example, say you're a homeowner, right? I have this equity in my home. That's not doing anything for me. Why wouldn't I put it to work, right? If you're a doctor, you'd be saving. And then, then the other part of it is, like I mentioned, money printing. If you have excessive amounts of savings, cash, like in my world, cash is trash, right? Cash flow is king, right? Because if I, whenever I have cash, I want it to work hard for me, right? Because I invest in real estate because I want at least 30% returns, right? So when I know I'm, that's what I'm, I can make with my money, why would it let to sit idle? And actually, no, not idle. It's actually losing money if it's sitting in your account. And to me, and if an equity in your home that you're not using is just not working for you. It's not right. doing anything. So why wouldn't you put it to work? So have your, have your money work for you is better than you breaking your back and not sleeping so that you can make the money. I think this is something that physicians don't understand. I don't know if your father was a, a physician who thought differently, but I definitely think like you. Cash flow is king. I, in my world and in other worlds, I think cash is also king, but I understand what you're saying in terms of real estate. If you ask a doctor, if you ask a nurse how to make money, the only answer they'll give you is work longer, harder, right? They won't say, uh, I'll have my money make money. They, they ne they'll never answer you that way. They'll just say, I'll work more. That's the difference in mindset. Now, the other difference in mindset, mind you, is also accepting debt. Because what you're saying is you're using debt. I don't know if you listen to the, the financial gurus of the US and Canada, where they're, it's, it's the same. They say the exact same thing. Don't have debt. Pay down your debt. Have no debt. Uh, debt is bad. Debt's going to kill you. But they don't understand the difference between using debt and having debt. What you're saying yeah. is using debt. As physicians and healthcare professionals, we like to pay down our house, aggressively pay down our house, and then sit on it for the next 50 years and never use the equity in it. Mm. What you're saying is that's the wrong way to go if you want to be a real estate investor. So I'll, I'll, use, the, I'll use a personal story. So in my experience, the previous home that I bought, I put 5% down on it. I had the money to put down you know, 50% if I wanted to. So the house I bought was 635000 I put down 5%. My investment was $35,000. And then that house uh, in the seven years I lived in it had doubled. So what's my ROI on my down payment, right? Enormous. It's like 2,000, 4,000%, something enormous, right? But not only did I do that, the, down, the money that I saved, instead of putting it into my principal residence, into my home, I went and bought three houses. with, And all those houses have since doubled as well. But I've done very well, right? By not listening to people saying debt is bad. I love the banks for lending me all this money for very, very, very cheap. <laughs> Average real estate appreciates at 7% a year and I'm paying less than 3% interest on my mortgage. This is pretty simple math. Then you look at the outlook. We talked about immigrants earlier. It doesn't matter which government is in, the is in control at the federal level. They're all like competing who can allow more immigrants into Canada. <laughs> we have a birth rate uh, problem, right? We have a birth we, we're, rate not, problem, yeah. we're not generating enough uh, babies. Right. So the mindset is one, you need to be able, you need to be comfortable with that. And the mindset is, it's is not really comfortable. 
it's a simple return. <laughs> you're, you're talking to people. You're talking about people who don't necessarily understand the word return because we don't live in that world. So these terms are not are not familiar to for mm -hmm. us to grasp the idea of you know returns and and spreads and things like that are are very foreign. But I think what we fail to understand is you know debt is like a knife. A knife, you could use a knife to cut an apple and eat your apple. And that knife is very useful when you do need it. But you can also take a knife and hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. That's exactly debt. Debt is like a knife. If you know how to use it in the right way, you will succeed. If you don't know how to use debt in the right way and you use it in the wrong way, you will not succeed. Right. Using debt is not the same as having debt. What you're, what you're doing is using debt. But not many people are comfortable with that idea. I think changing the mindset of being comfortable of seeing debt as a tool, as opposed to seeing debt mm -hmm. as an anvil, you know, holding you down, you need right. to change that mindset. So that's the first thing I think is very important. And, and I'm glad to hear that even an emergency doctor like myself can do this because uh, uh, I, I originally thought I couldn't do this. This is, this is way too complicated for me. It's not even that complicated because, for example, like I'm, I follow COVID stats all the time topic of vaccines has come up with yourself and your family, I'm sure. And it's just looking at risk reward. And then the hedge for that is take the shot. <laughs> and then all your, all your probabilities of dying and passing on the vaccine, passing on the virus reduces significantly. Right? So no different when I'm having a conversation with someone, what do you think your property costs will be in 10 years? Right? Most people will say double. Now, if you have kids, how are they going to afford that house? So if nothing else, it's a hedge. This is just, this is just again, risk, basic risk analysis. You know what? I 120% agree with you. When you talk about risk-benefit ratio, we understand that. Like we talk about that all day long. That's what we eat. That's what we sleep on, risk-benefit mm -hmm. ratio. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about, you know, the, the risk of, what's the risk of debt? How do you see using debt? Uh, for example, what, what are the pros or what are the benefits? For some reason, for some reason, we understand risk-benefit ratio in medicine, but outside of medicine, we don't understand. Right. The same way, more inputs like the, the, to to do research medicine and, and like vaccines, for example. Even though it's all, it's all, even I'm specifically talking about COVID vaccines. The data is not is uh, it's pretty new, but there's still lots of data available, right? If you if you just had if you just knew over the central place for source of information to make you able to make these investment decisions. It would be easier. Like for but so yes, to to research the decision to behind real estate is not as easy, right? Because you have to you have to have a bit of understanding of economics and business uh, in order to make that decision. But yeah. We have to do the research on the marketplace, the real estate, the trends, right? The economics of it. And we don't know how to do that. That's the right. first thing, right? We we don't have we don't have the data that you currently have, you know, in real estate trends and which is a hot market and which is a mm -hmm. trending market. So those are the type of things that we have to do our own homework. And to mm -hmm. be honest, we're too busy to do our own homework. <laughs> Maybe that's it boils down to that, mm -hmm. which leads the segue into what kind of team do I need? Like I want, let's say I want to do this, right? My goal is five years from now, I want to own 10 condominiums or 10 detached homes. That's my goal. I'm going to do this, run this as a business. I'm a neurosurgeon. I'm a plastic surgeon. You know, I work 70, 80 hours a week. I don't have time to do this. What do I need? What kind of team do I need to surround myself with? Mm -hmm. and, and what is the quickest way to do it?
So it depends on where people want to start. If they want to just be a passive type investor, I would suggest talking to your friends who already have what you want. So talk to people who are successful. If you want condos, I'm sure someone in your circle is a successful condo investor, right? And then ask them, who do they use, right? Make sure they're successful first. Don't want to learn, don't want to take leads from people who suck. My investments are my nest egg. I have, I have like five coaches in my life <laughs> that all help me in the different areas of my business. I have a golf swing coach. I have a real estate investment coach. I have a whole off-market real estate thing coach. I have like three stock coaches. I have, and I, have, uh, I have all these coaches in my life. So I personally do not go cheap on these things on the education side. I pay lots of money for education, but again, I'm a fresh, I'm a professional. So folks have to decide on how much time they want to put into it. But if you don't want to put a whole bunch of time into it, you better have a really, really good realtor, an amazing realtor who will filter deals for you and send you the good ones only. In my line of business, our clients who are comfortable with us, who are and uh, often the busiest clients are our best clients, so we know how to work with them, is they will write offers with us without even ever seeing the property. Save yourself the, the, the commute from, from, Hamil from Toronto to Hamilton. Save that hour. I have lots of clients who bought properties without seeing them because it didn't matter that they saw them. This is an investment, right? These are what the numbers are going to be. And if you're going to work, if you're working with a good realtor, they should know exactly what the numbers are going to be in terms of what it's going to cost to get the house, what the renovation is going to cost, what the rent's going to be, what the tenant profile is going to look like, and who's going to do it all. In my business, my realtors are coaches. We quarterback the transaction because a successful client, when we successfully quarterback someone, they will be successful. They will buy more properties and send us more clients, send us more referrals. So we put them in our world. These are the exact same people we do. We hold these people accountable too. Contractors, property managers, like we hold them accountable as well. In terms of building your team, property manager, who's going to manage the asset itself and who's going to manage the tenant. So the property manager has those two jobs, right? Do all the maintenance, take care of, coordinate all the maintenance and also make sure that tenant stays happy and they make sure you get a good tenant. And if there's any problems with the tenant, they deal with it. And then I would say you need community support. So you need to have your friends that also invest because they, because it's lonely, right? It's a lonely journey. And the journey is just so much easier when you have friends that are doing the same thing that you're going through. I'm sure no different than when you were going through medical school, you had your friends. Could you have gotten through without them? I think there's a few points that uh, I can take out of what you just said there. One, you don't have to do this alone. Actually, you shouldn't do this alone. That's the first thing. You should not do this. Usually, formula for disaster. Yes. Two, get the right real estate agent, right? Because you said it yourself. You had a real estate agent, but he really didn't understand real estate investment. So get a real estate agent that understands real estate investment. So mm -hmm. these, this is a different type of real estate agent. Third person that I understand is very important is the property manager because my time is precious. Mm -hmm. My time is to operate on a brain, take care of patients, be with my family. My time is not to go plunge the toilet. And so having that property manager is very important. And then finally, you know, having a good support, doing it with friends, doing it with family. I think that is very important. So thank you for bringing up what a good team would look like. Anybody else that you say is very important. Now, the other thing uh, I want to ask you this, because having a good mortgage broker, is also very important, right? Because buying doctors, real estate, that's easy, <laughs> right? Buying, buying real estate, buying real estate as investment is not the same as buying a house, 
Right. right. I buy a house, I go to any major bank and they see I'm a doctor. They, they throw money at me. If, if I wanted to hang myself with, you know, $4 million, I'll hang myself with that. And they're happy to make my interest. If I want to do this as a investment, I, I want to be able to shop the right deal and the right mortgage and the right terms. Mm -hmm. And so having uh, an experienced mortgage broker is very important. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? We, we learned this recently. So I've been in the business, I've been investing since 2005. And I only learned this in the last 12 months. And most people don't know this is a friend of mine without knowing any better. I don't even know how she needed to do this, but she used a corporation for the beginning. Her and her husband made enough income over 200,000. For some reason, they chose to invest within it with a, with a corporation from the very beginning. And so they went to, they went to a, a specific bank. I won't name names. And then they got five mortgages and, and they got five mortgages. And then just by dumb luck, again, they did this all by dumb luck. And then what happened was, they couldn't get any more, they couldn't get any more mortgages in the corporation. So they went, so they, so then their mortgage broker said, well, you have personal credit. You can use to buy more properties. Like, what do you mean? They just said, no, we can't, we, we can't get more mortgage with this corporation. Like, well, the corporation's a separate entity. You are, you as a person, your personal credit, you are your own entity. We know about those properties, but we don't, we don't factor that in in qualifying yourself for more mortgages. And this, again, this was less than a year ago. And so we've, we've learned this whole concept we call um, mortgage virginity. You can actually maintain your, your person. You can, you can keep your personal credit clean. If you actually start with a corporation. Now, the challenge is that most mortgage people will not do not know this, nor is it in their best interest to tell you about this, because if investing in a corporation is harder and not all lenders will do it. You know what you said about mortgage virginity. I, I came across that just very recently. You know, a major bank didn't want to loan me more. <laughs> and I'm like, and so I, I approached this mortgage broker. He said, oh, just create another corporation. I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, the, I'm the owner. He said, ah, don't worry. It's a different entity. So it's that, that concept of virgin, uh, sorry, mortgage virginity. Every corporation, it's its own entity. And, you know, most, most uh, bankers and lenders will lend you up to about five properties per entity. And so that, that concept is very important, but you know, you wouldn't know that unless you talk to a mortgage broker that actually deals with real estate investment, not just buying a home, right? Again, you could do the mom and pop way, or you can do it as a business way. And if you want to do it like a business, run it like a true business and surround yourself with people who actually are in the business, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now this is actually a very natural segue into my next question. You know, I think Erwin, you read my questions. That's why you you lead me down this path. So <laughs> the next question is about capital, right? How do I raise capital? Uh, what are the different ways for me to raise capital? You talked about, you know, the the equity in your home. That's that's mm -hmm. one way. Just in general, what are the different ways people can raise capital? For our, among our clientele, over ninety percent people are taking down payments from their homes via home equity uh, line of credit or they're remortgaging their homes in order to uh, free up capital for down payments on property. Well over 90%. It's probably over 95%. Uh, we do have a handful of clients who are independently wealthy. You know, the folks who do have like a million bucks of cash in the bank, right? So, and that's usually from business, from savings. Uh, that's how they raise capital. And then and then the small slice of our clientele is bank of mom and dad or because our typical client is a homeowner already, right? Like I said, like they're taking money for their home. So if they don't own their own home, they're borrowing from mom and dad or they're investing with mom and dad 
using their home equity for down payments for investment property. That, not just down payments, but also to pay for renovations, closing costs, all those sorts of things. That's, that's by far the most common. And then extensions of mom and dad, other relatives, grandparents. I, I, I jokingly say to people, you're just getting an advance on your inheritance. Because my thing is like, I have kids. I'd rather see my kids use my inheritance in advance. Use it smartly. If they're using it to start a business or investment, like I'd be all game for that. I'd rather, I'd rather see them do it than it happen after I pass. That's just me. That's just me. So that's why, that's why I encourage clients to say to like, go to mom and dad, right? Or they go to mom and dad also for credit. They do that almost all the time. Mom and dad always often has to help them qualify for mortgages. So by far the most common. There's partnering or partnering up, partnering up, but a lot of people don't like doing it. <laughs> and that was my, my next question with you is, you know, how many of your clients or in your experience, how did JV work? You know, JV joint ventures partnering. How did that work out? And is that a, a big portion of clients that you said, no, 90% is not that. And so the small proportion of people who actually have done it, have you had clients like that? And what have been their experience? Pros and cons. Uh, we have we have lots of clients who do that as well, who partner with people who have capital, who don't have the time. I'm sure some of them are partnering with doctors <laughs> because doctors don't have time. They have kids. If you're on your own practice, that's its own busy business itself. Uh, so very popular is people will, investors will give up half the equity to uh, a passive partner for the credit to qualify for the mortgage and also down payment money and possibly money for the renovations as well. And, and again, they give up half of the deal. That means half the cash flow, half of, half of the equity. And often the, um, and then often the passive partner is usually protected on the investment as well in terms of like, if there's no money to be made, then, then the, the passive partner gets paid out first. Almost always like, like good, good, good JV relationships. Usually the passive partner gets paid out first because they're putting up the cap, they're putting up the capital and the credit and uh, more popular these days is um, especially among the more advanced investors is they'll just do private, they'll just borrow money. They'll borrow money from anywhere from like six to 12% or even more instead of getting, giving up half the deal. So they'll find, they'll finance the, as much as they can with, uh, with expensive debt in order to keep 100% of the equity in the deal. So both options are available. Uh, the latter option where I, where I talked about private mortgage, private, private borrowing is more, has been more common in the last two, three, three years, because anyone who's seen the appreciation under kind of has, kind of has some regret investor regret and in having given up half the deal when they did all the work, you know, just naturally humans and people are uncomfortable with holding on to too much debt, as we explained to her, as we talked about earlier. So you talked about, you know, the equity in your house, the HELOC. Okay, so I have my house. I've taken some some equity out to put on a down payment for, let's say, house number two or house number three, or sorry, investment number two, number three. Now, you know, my plan is to buy 10 over the next five years. Now, obviously, my equity doesn't shoot up, you know, within the next five years, but I need to scale. I want to be able to go up to 10. I want to be able to go up to 30. What are the most efficient ways you found to, to go at that? Just to preface it, I think less than 1% of investors, of, among real estate investors, I think less than, less than 1% get to 10 properties or more. So my own, pro, my own journey was I started with one house, right? Bought one property, paid 160 grand for it. It went up in value. Between it going up in value and saving money, 
we were able to take money, take refinance our house and buy another property. So now we have two properties, right? Market kept going up within three years. Both properties had money in them. Three, between three and five years, both properties had more money in the equity in them to be able to buy more property. So we turned one property into two and then those two properties turned into four. It kept multiplying. It does take time though, right? And then over time, those four properties all went up because remember Toronto real estate on average, conservatively is going up 7%, right? We only put down 20% of the money into it. So, and then market again, market goes up. So then I had now have enough money between those four properties for more down payments. So then those four properties turned into eight properties. So that was my own journey. That's largely the journey of many, many of our clients as well, is that it's a slow go. It's a slow go if you want to do it with your own money. Now, if you want to use other people's money, then yeah, you have to go raise money, meaning you have to go uh, either offer people high interest rates to borrow money so that you can buy property for down payments and renovations. Just to uh, finish that thought about private money and expensive private money is the goal is to get a mortgage afterwards. Once the, once the property is renovated, then you bring in a bank to give you cheap money for like 3%. And then uh, you take all your money out and you return their money, you return, you pay back your loans, right? So that's one option. That's a very aggressive option. Uh, not common with uh, passive investors. That's much more aggressive. That's like as aggressive as you can get as you, it's expensive money. And then what uh, more common is people will give up equity in the deal. So again, very common where people will give up half the deal, half the cash flow, half the equity for someone to put up all the capital and call for the full mortgage. So that's a very common way for people to be able to raise money in order to be at the scale beyond five properties to 10 properties and to 30 properties, whatnot. I've, I've been in this for a long time. I've interviewed well, well over a hundred of the best investors in, in Canada. This is, this is not just me saying it. This is for me interviewing a whole lot of people. Yeah. And like you say, joint ventures are a small, small portion of, of your clients currently. Yeah, they're all capable of it. And that's the other thing as well is that it doesn't get said enough is uh, I see my clients all the time and they always underestimate what they're capable of. I see it all the time, all the time. Right? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? A lot of people don't think they can do stuff. You know, they never think they'll buy an investment property. They never think they'll buy two investment property. It always surprises them. And all investors are like that. You ask them to look back, they're all surprised by what they achieved. Right. And that's what I mean. Now, you know what? Uh, I think that's an, a very important point because as healthcare professionals, we're so absorbed into our work and especially during the pandemic and other, you know, there'll be more crisis coming on in the world. You know, COVID is not the only one. So we're so absorbed into our world that we don't actually see the opportunities sometimes. So thank you for, for bringing that up. And it takes courage to see that. It actually does take courage to see that. You know, the point that you made earlier about you know, high cost of borrowing, six, 7%, is that you start off with that high interest to get the home that you want, to get the renovation that you want. Once that closes, you refinance with the bank to get a lower rate. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully people understand that you're not staying the entire mortgage with that high percentage. You're using that high to get you into the, into the investment and then refinance it at a lower rate after once you've got a tenant inside. Uh, and I think most major banks want to see you have a tenant uh, before they allow you to refinance. Am I correct? Right. Or you're selling or, you're, or, or, you're selling. Say, or say it's a flip. And then, right. okay, and then just so folks know for context, this strategy, you're having, you're often forced to use private money 
because the bank won't lend on it. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So, so then the people can put their imagination caps on what won't a bank lend on. So there's usually something wrong with the property. Like it's a hoarder's house or it was a former girl op. Like people grew drugs there or they, or they manufacture methamphetamines or whatever. Uh, or like there's a hole in the roof, right? Like from like dereliction, like from just neglect, right? There's, there, uh, there, are reason, there are properties the bank will lend on. That's often why you need to, an alternate source for funds to be, able to, to be able to pay for the property. And then, of course, you're not going to get into it unless you're getting a discount, right? You're, you're getting a price that reflects the condition of the property. Correct. Correct. Because only then does it make sense to get into it. Correct. Well, okay, there you have it. This is part one of the series on how can a busy physician become a real estate tycoon? I know it's a very sexy title, but I think it's very doable. In fact, in this episode, I've learned three things. One, investing in real estate takes really a change in mindset. And it's a different mindset than what we have typically in healthcare. The second thing I've learned is to be comfortable with debt and understanding that there is a difference between good debt and bad debt. Understanding that is crucial because to continue investing in real estate and become a quote-unquote tycoon, one must understand that they need to refinance. And every time one refinances, it means that we're taking on more debt. Let it be good debt, not bad debt. And the third lesson here is we all can do it. We all have some sort of equity sitting inside our houses, our homes, our real estate. But equity sitting inside that real estate, let's just say, you know, there's two million sitting inside a house that's worth four million dollars. Well, that two million dollars sitting inside there is doing nothing. It's dead money. One may consider using that money to reinvest it into a second home. And that is dead equity sitting inside a home doing nothing. And to Irwin's point, that money is actually losing value because of inflation. So this is very different from how we think as healthcare professionals. But if we want to play the game of real estate, we need to change our mindset and understand debt and how to leverage and use debt and also how to learn how to refinance. All the other complicated stuff like JV, partnering, or going into high interest rate type of debt. As Erwin mentioned, it is really less than 1% of all the real estate investors that he has come across. So we really don't need to play that 1% game. We All we need to do is stick to the 99% game that most real estate investors do. And it is not complicated. If you can operate on a brain, if you can put a pacemaker into someone's heart, if you can do a lumbar puncture, or if you can treat complex mental health issues, I am sure you know how to refinance a home. So it's just a question of taking that courage and making it move forward. 
I hope you guys listen to the next episode where we discuss more about real estate investing. So for now, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've taken some golden nuggets with you. If you did enjoy it, please share it with a colleague and a friend. I would also urge you to listen to previous podcasts about real estate and real estate investment. And trust me, this is such a wonderful topic for most healthcare professionals. Be assured that there will be more podcasts on real estate. If you have any comments or feedback, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. Finally, a little shameless plug for my own services. If you feel that these podcasts are helping you and that you need some life and personal finance coaching, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at that same email, hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.